First Kings chapter 18 and verse 30. First Kings chapter 18, verse 30. I am two things. I am a gospel Bible preacher and I am an audience participation preacher. So what that means is you gotta burn that comment thing up on all the social media platforms, on all the live platforms around the world. Let us know where you are. Let us know your prayer requests. I pray over every single comment that comes in and they come in by the tens of thousands. But God's word through prayer will meet you right at the point of your need. Amen? I said amen. Have you found 1 Kings? If you have not, just look it up in the concordance in the front of your Bible or just ask Google. And if Google's busy, get his girlfriend Siri. Either one of them can tell you where it is. 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 30 reads as follows. Elijah, the prophet of God, taken up to heaven in a fiery whirlwind chariot, Elijah said to all the people, say that includes me, come near to me, and all the people came near to him. What does that tell you? They had a spirit of obedience. When they heard the word, they responded to the word, not part of them, all of them. And all the people came near to him. And therefore, Elijah, repaired the altar of the Lord, repaired the altar of the Lord that had been broken and torn and thrown down. I don't know of any more prophetic look into the modern church than that verse of scripture from 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 30. The word altar is mentioned 350, over 350 times in your Bible. So it is inescapably clear that God condescended to meet you and me at the altar. Shout at the altar. But in our postmodern, post-Christian church, the altar, much like the cross of Jesus Christ, has fallen sharply out of fashion. It's so old school, they say. Uh, it's so out of date. It's so last century. It's so very, very difficult to brand the altar. It's so very, very difficult to create a marketing plan around the altar, the place of sacrifice. In a nation where a cross once topped the steeple of every church building from sea to shining sea, and an altar adorned the front area of the sanctuary or tabernacle, regardless of how small or crude or how great or ornate, 
They are disappearing the cross and the altar at an alarming rate from the church landscape, both of them together at the very same time. Well, certainly they're making their fate together because after all, they are one and the same, the cross and the altar. So let me become the intercessor. Let me stand there and declare that the cross, that the altar must never, can never, will never ever become relics of a backslidden modern church. I thought I had half a church. I brought this altar with me today. I kind of slipped it out on Miss Joni. She's watching now and she knows I have it. She might be a little bit nervous about it. This altar is 230 years old. 230 years old. Miss Joni and I got it in London, England and we brought it across the ocean. Some altars were padded. Some of you will remember, especially if you're from an Orthodox or Roman Catholic background, there in their buildings, the altar folds down from the pew in front of them and makes a kneeling bench. In our very first building that we built in 1977, the altar, which I crafted with my own handiwork out of two by fours, plywood, and 16 penny nails, was a crude half wall, but we painted it beautifully. The first altar that I truly remember was even more crude than that. It was actually a four by four with a two by six nailed to the top of it raw wood on a dirt floor. It was at that altar that I first knelt down after hearing a message about the cross, after hearing a message about heaven and hell, I knelt there at that cross. I was the only one that was kneeling at the altar that night, 45 watt light bulbs hanging down from the ceiling with a light bulb screwed in, no ornate fixture upon it. It was a 45 watt because he couldn't afford a 100 watt. There I knelt down. They required me to kneel down. There's something about the kingdom of God. Everything in the kingdom of God is diametrically opposed and mutually exclusive of everything in the kingdom you came out of. In the kingdom you came out of, you had to climb that ladder and climb over top of everybody you could to get there. But in this kingdom, the way up is not to climb the ladder. The way up is to kneel down. God exalts the man. God exalts the woman. God exalts the young mother, the young dad, the teenager, the child who will humble themselves and kneel down at an altar. No wonder the altar has become the relic of a self-interested, self-satisfied, God-denying, Holy Ghost-denying, so-called church. 
The new church is all about exalting the me, all about exalting the I, all about using the Bible as a manipulative tool to shake in the face of God and demand what your flesh wants. Not so in a church adorned by an altar. Here where we meet with God, here where we confess our sins one to the other, here where we are brought low and God is exalted high. With the disappearance of the altar, we've also lost hold on something some of our hearts are burning again for. We lost hold when we lost the cross. We lost hold when we lost the altar. We lost hold of a move of God. We lost hold of the power of the Holy Spirit. We lost hold of a broken heart and a contrite spirit which God declared he would in no wise refuse. We want no altar to repent of our lying spirits. We want no altar to confess our own cover-up. We want no altar where the mask is taken off and our flesh is brought low. We want no altar to declare our own sinfulness, our own separation from God, and there to hold the altar and cry out for God to meet us again. We lost hold on revival. When Israel returned from captivity, the first thing that they did was build an altar. I was asked by one of our great elders this morning, Pastor, do you think that those people that over the last three weeks have received just under one million pounds of fresh food. Do you think they're thankful? Most are not, for they have no altar. He said, my mother, when we were being raised, was very, very poor. My mother had enough money to get our family groceries for three weeks every month. But on that fourth week, stand up, elder, I'm talking about you. Stand up, Miss Mary, I'm talking about your family. He said, Pastor, I know what hunger is like. So do I, elder. So do I. He said on that fourth week, we would take the city bus and we would travel across the city to a little church. And there we'd receive our groceries for the fourth week of the month. Didn't have bus fare to get back home, but we were happy to carry those groceries in our hands and walk to the other side of the city 
to get home and know that God had taken care of us. I wonder if you have an altar of thanksgiving. I wonder if anywhere this week you knelt down and you said, God, if you don't breathe out, I don't breathe in. I wonder if you made an altar at the steering wheel of your car and paused just a moment and thanked God that you had a car, thanked him that you had a job, thanked him when you laid down. I tell you, I got so happy in the shower the other day. I started dancing, thanking God for the water that was pouring down upon my head, thinking about in Pakistan what they would give for a shower of clean water. If you'd fill your life with thanksgiving, you wouldn't have near the time to make your ears a garbage dump for gossip. Are you thankful? Do you have an altar? This altar is the centerpiece of my home. I kneel here. I pray for you here. Where is your altar? Do you have one? Do you gather your family as my father did and make a, co a coffee table and altar and put the Bible in the middle of it and join hands with your family and say, now God, this is my family and we're not leaving this place till you come and heal us. Where's your old? Do your children know where your altar is? Where is that place where you steal away and you humble yourself and pray? Oh, we're too busy for that. There's a little girl she uh, got to attend her first wedding. And after the wedding, she tugged on her mama and said, Mama, why did the bride change her mind? I've been in some wedding ceremonies where it'd been a good thing if the bride had changed her mind. The altar is where we dedicate our children. The altar is where we come for God to join two hearts together as one and dare and damn the devil that would try to take asunder what God joined together at the altar. At the altar. She said, Mom, why did the bride change her mind? Her mother said, well, daughter, what are you talking about? She said, well, she walked down the aisle and stood at the altar with one man and turned around and left the altar with another man. That's what an altar's about, you know. It's an exchange. It's a place where we exchange our sinful, darkened, reprobate hearts and minds and God takes out a stony heart and puts in a heart of flesh 
so that we could serve him. It's at the altar where we humble ourselves and recognize that if we don't move in Jesus, we dare not move at all. That's the problem with so-called modern believers. They think they can take a Bible and use it as a whipping rod to make God do what they want. It's at the altar that he prayed until his sweat became great drops of blood. It's at the altar that you bring your will under submission. God does not want to break your will, but to give you a will submitted to his authority so that he can bless you. It's at the altar. I wrote a little book for you I'll give everybody a copy when I finish this morning. I want to read what Watchman Nee said in the very beginning. The book is called Meet Me at the Altar. So I'm going to be preaching for a little bit, trying to get you to be convinced to get back to the altar. Individually, as a family, corporately, as a nation, and as the nations of the world. I'm believing God, will you believe with me, for 100,000 men and women to meet me at the altar of God. Will you be one of 100,000? Will you be one of 100,000? What is an altar? Watchman Nee said, now is the hour that we should humble, humbly prostrate ourselves before God, willing to be convicted afresh of our own sins by the Holy Spirit. I like this altar because it's just an altar for one. Not room for two. Not room here for me to debate and question Dr. Wendell Lowe. Just me here. Job said, when I consider the Lord, I fear him. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. When's the last time you spent an hour in prayer? Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Father's throne, make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. The average evangelical pastor with tens of thousands of people listening to his words spends an average of eight minutes a day in prayer. Where are our altars? Because we have no altar, 
we have no humility. Because we have no altar, we do not gaze up at the greatness and the might and the grandeur and the power and the glory of the God we claim we serve. Where? Where is our altar? Gone by the wayside, replaced by Bozo the clown and Fufu the dog, replaced by spaghetti dinners and feeding programs, replaced by a pastor that's superpowered and some program dreamed up in some marketing room somewhere. My suggestion is we do away with the boardroom until we get the altar back. My suggestion is we quit ordaining elders till we decide they know what an altar is. It's time we gathered at the altar again. It's time we met at the altar again. Here to examine ourselves. Here to be convicted of our sin. Oh, it's so quiet. You must have heard the sermon. A prominent, charismatic pastor brought all over social media this week that sin does not send people to hell. Live how you want. Jesus took care of your sin at Calvary. Therefore, if you sin today, you're covered. If you decide to sin tomorrow, you're covered. If you decide to live a sin-filled life every day until you end this life, you're as sure for heaven as if you were already there. There's only one problem with that, sir. The soul that sinneth it shall die. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me suggest you get an altar in that church. Heresy. Somebody told me, the, oh, but he's so charismatic. So was every dictator that ever controlled the minds of people. I don't care how charismatic he is. I care what comes out of his mouth. Oh, you're not clapping. You must be caught up in the personality cult. Convicted. What is that? That's godly sorrow. I have had it with so-called believers thumbing their nose at the sin that will damn their souls. I read it to you Wednesday night. 
Oh, pastor, I know, uh, you know, uh, people uh, that commit murder. Uh, I, I know that they would be in hell. Well, we got the blood of 50 million murders running through our fingers and nobody seems to care. To permit is to participate. You don't raise up your voice in opposition to murder. But you read on down the list and you come to lying. Lying. And those that make a lie. I have never seen anything like the church. The church is a miracle worker. You let a feather blow out somebody's window, and by the time it passes through three churchgoers, it'll come back a chicken. Now we've got a long altar here. It's about 60, 75 feet wide. The reason we did that's because we had a few folk that said they wanted to get their tongue on the altar. Some of them got a long tongue about everything but anything positive, about everything but anything good. If we could get believers to brag on each other and get in an altar and pray instead of gossiping, we might have a revival. Man, I'm preaching today, elder, but I got to hurry. I, I said I got to hurry. Uh, let me see what else I want to give you. Uh, how about this? From Genesis to Revelation, altars are featured significantly in God's Word. Here are a few examples. Noah built an altar in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20. Abraham built an altar in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7. Isaac built an altar of remembrance in Genesis 26, 25. Jacob built an altar. You know your faith would grow if you'd build an altar of remembrance. You would remember he is the same God that delivered you from the hand of the lion. He is the same God that delivered you from the hand of the bear. He is the same God that will deliver you from the hand of every uncircumcised Philistine, past, present, and future. Do you have an altar of remembrance? Israel was not able to be taken in because they were not thankful for being brought out. Please don't criticize other people who are just sinning differently than you. The one who had the right to cast the first stone didn't. That stuff gets worked out at an altar. Some folks don't even know what I'm talking about, Elder. They don't even know what we're talking about when we talk about get in the altar. 
grab a hold of the horns of the altar and refuse to let go until there's a bell ringing in your soul. It's called pray it through. It's not make some trite confession. It's pray it through. Humble yourself. It's not the deacon. It's not the elder. It's not somebody else. It's me, oh God, standing in the need of prayer. Jacob built an altar at Bethel. The altar of sacrifice, Exodus 27.1. The altar of incense. When's the last time you built an altar of praise? There's an altar. I couldn't find it today. I built an altar. The year that the doctor looked at Miss Joan and I and handed us our son said, your son has an incurable neurological condition for which there is no treatment. There is no cure and there is no hope. And they handed him back to us. They said, he'll never go to school. He'll never distinguish that Joni is his mother and that you are his father. He'll never ride a bike. He'll never have a job. Most parents in your condition would put him in an institution and forget that he was ever born. The next week, I found myself in the mountains of Colorado way, way up in the mountains. I was seated in the great pine forest at the very summit of the mountain. There, if I could take you today, I took some fallen trees and I built an altar. And I carved Mark 11, 22 to 24 in it. And I declared, here at this altar this day. And I carved my son's name in it. And I said, God, I'm going to leave here today. But let this altar be a memorial that here I took my stand, that here I defeated principalities and powers, and that here you heard my prayer. Look down when I'm in Columbus, Ohio, and see his name. Where's your altar? Where's your altar? 
an altar of sacrifice, an altar of incense. In the New Testament, Hebrews 13, 10, we have an altar, the cross, where Christ was sacrificed. Uh, you know what that, that is what an altar is all about, do you not? It's a place to sacrifice. Maybe that's why nobody wants one. Here is where we die. Here is where we covenant. Here is where we get to know God by revealing ourselves openly to him. In honest contrition, and when you get finished with you, you can start praying for your family. And when you get finished with your family, you can pray for your church. And when you get finished praying for your church, maybe God would then let you weep tears over your neighborhood. If we'd pray half as much as we'd protest, we'd hear from heaven. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. Then I will forgive their sin, backslidden preacher. Then I will heal their land. Revelation chapter eight and verse three. Another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. It must be a terrible thing to enter heaven and God tell us to go to the altar and we don't know what that means. Go to the altar. Before you stand giving your alms, go to the altar. Where's your altar of praise? I've got one. I go to it every day, twice a day. And I thank God that my son and every person connected to us who for themselves or someone they love stand against autism spectrum disorders. I thank God that they have no PDD, no ADD, no Asperger's syndrome, no autistic symptoms, conditions, or behaviors, including but not limited to obsessive compulsive desires and behaviors, echolalia, and perseveration. I thank God that they have no abnormal fear, that they have no social or sensory dysfunction or malfunction. I praise my God that their brain functions are completely normal, including but not limited to the creation, transmission, reception, retention of serotonin levels and chemical balances. Thank God 
that every day they function as neurologically, sensorily, academically, intellectually, physically, physiologically normal, as though that hellish plague had never been visited upon this earth. Do you have an altar? Will you meet me at the altar? And there will you cast your vote for righteousness, for godliness, for morality. There will you confess your sin and need of him. Not once and for all, but for all time. I'll leave you with this. Ian Bound said, the lack of our own spiritual desire should grieve us and lead us to lament its absence. To seek God earnestly for its bestowal so that our praying henceforth should be an expression of the soul's sincere desire. Does God know what you want? He made it so plain for us. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. But you have to understand the verb tense. It is not past nor present, but progressive present. What he actually said is ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and seek and keep on seeking. Weary and wounded, broken, tired, and poor, sick and suffering, sighing and crying, lonely, forsaken, you can find your way home from the altar. It's your spiritual GPS. It'll get you where you need to be. Will you meet me at the altar? Will you meet me at the altar? All to Jesus, I surrender. Are you ready to make the exchange? One thing is for certain, you cannot have your life and his too. At the altar, you make the great exchange.
at the altar, you bow down and he resurrects. At the altar, you come with one companion, but you leave with another. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. I'm an heir of salvation. I've been purchased of God. Born of his spirit. I've been washed in his blood. I'm cleansed. I'm washed. I'm sanctified. I'm a Holy Ghost filled. I've been water baptized. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. And I know that he is living, whatever men may say, cause at the altar this morning, I talked with him. He blessed me and sent me on my way. Will you meet me at the altar? Come and dine, the master calleth. Come and dine. You can feast at Jesus' table all the time. Oh, what fellowship. Ah, oh, what joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. All is blessedness, all is peace of mind, leaning on the everlasting arms. I'm leaning at the altar, I'm leaning. I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning on Jesus. I'm safe, I'm secure from all along. Leaning, at the altar I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. If you're thankful that you found an altar, get to shouting and clapping. Now, those of you that are online, I compel you to stay right where you are. Those of you that are in the building here, there in Elkhart, I've got this book for you today. They're at the ends of the aisles. Everybody grab one and pass them down. They're free. Everybody likes free. Pass them down. Everybody take one, everybody, everybody, all the way back. Nobody heading for the doors I haven't dismissed yet and the food trucks are locked. <laughs> Better be more concerned about spiritual food. That book says, don't fear him who can kill the body, but rather he that can cast into hell having done so. Everybody take one. Meet me at the altar. Very, very quickly, open it up to the very back. And you'll see a perforated card there. You see it? Everybody take one.
Everybody, everybody, everybody. Not one to a family. Everybody. Take one. Watch what you can do. Tear that off. Join me today. You're the first group of people that get to agree to join me at the altar. Amen. I want, I want you in your heart to covenant with me to do three things. Three things. I don't know why we're on Leonard Ravenhill. We're on three things. Number one, you're committing to pray. Sometime every day to commit to pray, but I want you to pray for one specific thing for sure. Because when God told me to raise up an army of 100,000, he said, don't just call them to prayer. Call them to pray that the convicting power of the Holy Spirit would come to them, their family, and our nation. That's what you're committing to pray every day. God send the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Without conviction, there's no repentance. Without repentance, there's no revival. Without revival, there's no awakening. Number two, you will commit to fast something. I'm not telling you how long to fast it. I'm not telling you what to fast. If you get to the altar, God will let you know. Whatever that is, to fast something every day. What I'm trying to get you to embark on is a fasted lifestyle. If you used to get a large get a medium. If you used to get a medium, get a small. If you used to eat French fries five times a week, stop eating French fries. I don't know. Do some of you good to turn the television off. Do some of you good to have a one hour fast every day where you do not touch your phone. Some of you will have to have prayer. I'm not kidding. Not kidding at all. Then the third thing I want you to do is something I've been trying to get folks to do for five years now. Receive Holy Communion every day. Every day. Abba, I belong to you, Lord Jesus. I worship you. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Receive the cup and the bread of the Lord every day. Every day. Well, that's difficult. No, it's not. I do it every day. Very first thing. Hallelujah. You can, you can find some grape juice, can't you? It's not difficult. If you have trouble getting some, I'll get, get it for you. Get yourself some crackers. Important thing is not the element, the important, we don't believe in transubstantiation. 
the important thing, what is that? Look it up. The, the important thing is that you are being obedient to the Lord. Receive his body, receive his blood, and believe him. So those three things, and join me today, one of 100,000. How many of you will believe with me and speak and pray, God, give us 100,000 consecrated people praying for conviction to come to the hearts of God's people and the world. Yeah, fill it out, fill it out completely. Those of you online, I know God's been speaking to you just like he's been speaking to us. I know the tangible anointing of God is right there with you where you are right now. So I need you. I need you. We're in the midst of a pandemic. I can't get the thousands in here every week that I normally do. I need you. So here's all you need to do. Text the number that's on your screen right now. There it is. You see it? Text that number on your screen and we'll send you the book as you commit to be one of 100,000 Holy Ghost warriors committed to pray for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to move upon us. And as you do, I'll send you your copy of Meet Me at the Altar. I cut this message down four times before I got to the pulpit today, and I got through one, less than one-fourth of it. So uh, I think we'll be hearing more about the altar. Is that all right? Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I wanna invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.